Baseball 365 Podcast. And here are your hosts, Justin Hughes and Andrew McQuiston. Welcome to episode 71 of the Baseball 365 Podcast. My name is Justin Hughes, host of this show. You can follow us on Twitter at Baseball365Pod. You can follow myself at JustinHughes365. And you can follow Andrew McQuiston at AMCQ82. You can also join our Facebook group where we're always talking baseball. There's conversations going on there daily. Baseball365 on Facebook. If you're not there, check it out. Good conversations going on all year long. It's been a little quiet lately, but as we get baseball back or when we get baseball back, I know we'll get picking right back up where we left off. All right, Andrew, I'm going to introduce my co-host Andrew now, and the question of the day pertains to something I did this past weekend. I've been personally experimenting with grilling more and more the past few years, and this past weekend I had my greatest success. I slow-cooked and then grilled a full slab of ribs and nailed them. They were awesome. So, Andrew... I, I don't remember ever talking cooking with you. What is your what do you feel your best dish is that you make? Uh, the best answer is nothing anyone wants to eat. Really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I'm just I'm just not a cook. I uh, I'd love to taste those ribs though. Oh man, they were incredible. Oh my gosh, I I ate that and I'm, I. I said in the chat with a couple of our buddies who are always grilling. I said, this is a life changing moment. I'm like, <laughs> I, I want to go buy ribs right now and just do it again next week. And I probably will when I go shopping this weekend, but you say nothing. Nobody wants what I, I'm, what do you make that people would not want? I, I mean, I don't really even try because it's not that good. But I mean, I've made I've made tacos. I grilled hamburgers, steaks, you know, stuff like that. But I don't get too in depth with cooking. It's just not really my thing. So, what do you eat at home then? Or are you one of those that always uh, grab something on the way home and eat? I eat a I eat out quite a bit, probably more than the average person. But I get a lot of the stuff that I get is just easy prep stuff. You know, it's not stuff that you have to go all in depth with. Oh, I understand. In my 20s, I think half the time I grabbed myself a fast food burger and the other half the time, I the joke was I was the master of the frozen pizza. <laughs> <laughs> I could cook yeah. those to perfection I, every time. I avoid the fast food as much as I can. I mean, I don't really eat that that much, but yeah, just kind of got to watch what you get. But yeah, it's tricky when you're not the greatest cook. I'm just definitely not. So I get it. I get it. Until the last couple years, I would not have considered myself a good cook of anything. Well, on tonight's episode, I'm taking my role back as host of this show, and this time I get to grill Andrew on his list. Andrew's provided his list of top 100 prospects, and we're going to do the part one here tonight, where we're going to talk about players 1 through 50, and we're going to just discuss a bunch of players and his ranks. So, Andrew, I got a couple of questions to start off before we start going into this list. When did you start making these ranks? I know we've talked about doing this for a while. I think I think I started it like right around November, December. I mean, just kind of assembling the list. 
I, it originally I was gonna put it out and think the the beginning of March um, and I just for a while there I would just drag guys up and down just kind of move it around get it how I wanted and then started getting involved with fantasy drafts and just got away from it and I actually got away from it for a while so saying since then it, it probably sounds like I've been doing it the whole time I definitely haven't but um, yeah you just you get away from it and then you look back at it a couple weeks later and you're already seeing things you need to change so it's been a while since the initial uh, the initial start, but yeah, that, it hasn't been consistent throughout. I mean, until recently, I guess when we talked about doing this. So it's tough. I mean, every time it's almost torture to go back and look at lists because there's always something like we talked about last time that you can get in there and change, and it's just it's impossible to be completely happy with a list. Yeah, You're always every time you go back, it's like oh, now I feel like i should move this guy uh my next question this is a fantasy list correct yeah yeah it's a fantasy list um i wanted to gear it just more towards 15 team two catcher dynasty leagues that's pretty much what i play in uh you could look at it like 20 team one catcher i mean it's kind of it's close enough that it's not really gonna affect the rankings really at all so but yeah something in that range 15 to 20 team league um yeah two catchers maybe if it's 15 and one if it's 20 so batting average i should say that too but again it's probably not a major change in rankings even if it was obp i mean Mm -hmm. i kind of it kind of all goes into it but i did it with the thought of a batting average league I'm going to hit you with a question I didn't have in the notes. Hopefully I'm not throwing you off here. I don't think I am, but I will be. If you were doing a startup dynasty draft, would you be following this pretty closely in terms of this is pretty much how I draft? Maybe like we've said, you tinker and you may change your mind on a guy that's a couple spots off, but would you pretty much go right down your list? Yeah, pretty much. Uh, The one thing that may get me a little away from it is if I'm kind of reading the room and realize that I want this guy because I think that they're more likely to take him and he's a little lower on my list and that I can get the other guy I really want stuff like that. But for the most part, yeah, it would be, it would pretty much be this order. I could think of another example that I just thought of that I thought you were about to say, maybe league rules determine that you only have so many minor league slots and this player you can throw in your majors. So that might factor in a little bit because you can throw them in a major slot for a yeah. little bit. And just for roster construction, it makes a little more sense to maybe take that guy right now. Maybe something like that too. Yeah. Yeah. Possibly. I think some of it too, it's like if there's um, a couple owners drafting next to you and you just feel like, you know, the type of player they want, You know, you can kind of manipulate it in the draft where you can get more guys you want by maybe going a little off of your list, but I wouldn't go too far off of it. Yes, like if you were sitting next to me and Nick Solak was there. I don't know why I said Nick Solak. is the first one I could think of. (laughs) But I know you're not jumping to grab him, so still a bad example. All right, um, last question before we get going. Uh, One of the hardest parts 
of ranking, making ranks for prospects is ranking a player who may be months from making their debut or maybe they're just made their debut against some kid who has all the tools in the world but is years away. I mean, examples of this could be like a um, Jason Dominguez versus one of the Luis Robert, which I, I, either way, the, those are the examples of the type of players. So how do you take that into account when debating the close guy versus the kid who may be toolsier but further away? Uh, it's really a it's it's really case by case and every single situation. Uh, what I will say is I I do have kind of a philosophy with prospects. Just in that I would most of the time if it's a high end talent that's farther away versus what I think is a lower end talent, but he's close. I typically want the high-end talent, even if they're farther away. Now, obviously, it depends on – it's case by case, but it also depends on how much further away. Like I was telling you the other day because we were kind of talking about it. If it's within a year, I don't really care. I want the better player pretty much every time. If it's three or four years, then you know maybe I'm taking the guy that's closer. It kind of depends, but – I just uh, feel like in a dynasty league, when, you know, say you've got a guy coming up right away and then you've got a guy coming up in four to six months, well, four to six months really isn't that long. I mean, it just, it isn't when you think in the scope of a dynasty league, you know, it's just, and if you feel confident that that player is better, I pretty much want that player every time. There's other ways to get production to help you now than taking especially if you're talking about a high-end prospect, one that isn't as good. So that's kind of my philosophy on that. Another thing that I'm really strong with, and you'll kind of notice as we go through the rankings, is I strongly prefer up-the-middle players. Uh, and By that, I mean shortstop, second base, center field. I mean, you could throw catcher into that, but it doesn't really apply. I just Catchers are kind of their own thing with prospects but and the reason for that is there is a lower bar that you have to hit offensively at those positions so it's just anytime you hear like less pressure on the bat that's pretty much what it means kind of give you a quick rundown last year ops by position in the major leagues so and this is just in order First or number one was first base, 859. Number two, I did left field and right field together because it's kind of the same for this, was 819. Number three was third base at 805. So right there, you've got all your corner positions. Four yeah. was center field, 777. Five, second base, 764. Sixth shortstop 749 and then seventh catcher 748 so there at the bottom you have the up the middle positions and it's just it's a lot easier to reach fantasy relevance and make a difference when you don't have to clear that high bar that you have to do when you move to a corner couple examples hunter dozier 
had a higher OPS last year than Francisco Lindor. I think we can all agree Francisco Lindor is a better player. Jock Peterson had a higher OPS than Javi Baez and Trey Turner. I think we can all agree that they're better players than Jock Peterson. But that's kind of the scope of it, you know? It's like if you're at shortstop and you eventually have to move to third base or you eventually, you know, some of them move to second, and then obviously there's guys that spread out and move down the defensive spectrum. But as you move down that spectrum, you there is more pressure on you to hit. And if you have a guy in the minor leagues that is already locked into a corner, he has to hit. Mm-hmm. Because if he doesn't hit, what's his value? And then yeah. also think of it in real life. If, like, you know, Juan Soto, and I'll just say him because he's one of the best players in baseball. He's a left fielder. He's really not a good defender. No. He's a left fielder, but his bat is so insane that it just doesn't matter. He's going to be out there forever, and no one cares. But if you start putting a bat out in left field that is fringy or not quite as good, that guy could potentially lose playing time because he isn't helping on defense. Mm Mm-hmm. And guys like Jackie Bradley Jr., Andrelton Simmons, and there's a few of them on this list. They're not; Those guys aren't great fantasy players, but they have had so many opportunities over time to improve offensively because they help on defense. Defense yep. does matter in, oh, yeah. in fantasy. It's, it's not in a uh, direct way, but it does matter. So that's just kind of my views and I don't expect everybody to fully agree with all of them, but that's kind of what I think when I think about all these guys. That's why Victor Robles is going to have a long leash to continue growing with the bat at the plate. And same for Byron Buxton, because guys like that, their defense is so strong that it's going to give them more time to develop. People are going to wait longer because they're already such an added add on defense. Yep. That's a good point. Okay. Well, I think, from there, I'm just going to get started on this list, and we will start. I will list these off in groups, and we're going to start off with a top five here. Wander Franco with Tampa Bay, no surprise, is at number one. Julio Rodriguez with Seattle is at number two. Joe Adele, the outfielder for the Angels, is at number three. Luis Robert with the White Sox is number four. And Gavin Lux at the Dodgers second baseman is at five. So, first question for this group, was there any consideration for anyone but Wander at number one? None whatsoever. It's, it's really not close. He is by far the best prospect in baseball. Uh, just to give a quick rundown, I know everybody knows about him. It's elite bad speed, elite approach. Think about this for a minute. Last year, when he opened up in the Midwest League, he was the youngest player in the league. He played about till the All-Star break, and then he moves up to the Florida State League, high A. Goes there. He's a year younger than everyone else in the league and four years younger than the average hitter in the league. Add in 11% walk rate. 7% K rate. 
over his minor league career. 11% walk rate, 7% K rate. Let that kind of sink in for a minute. As an 18-year-old. As, yes, as an 18-year-old in full-season ball. And at every stop, he's posted WRC pluses in the 155 to 160 range. I mean, there's really no flaw. I mean, if I had to pick one thing, it's probably that I just I don't really know where the speed is going to end up. I don't think he has a lot of speed. I think he's close to an average runner, maybe a little bit above average. But um, I could see him having muted stolen base totals in the in the major leagues when he gets there. Yeah. But I mean, the bat is so elite that the top outcome here is probably something close to what Juan Soto is doing. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's it's really not close. He's the best prospect in the game. What do you think about this? When I look at him, I almost think the floor is kind of like a Carlos Correa. Do you think that's maybe still too high for me to say something like that? You mean like when he gets to the majors? Yes. I mean, I think that they maybe different players, but yeah, I mean, I, he has a really, really high floor because of just the, the approach alone, you know, but obviously the bat to ball skills and just everything. I mean, you just don't see guys with 7% K rates. Mm-hmm. I looked up, I looked up the last five years in the major leagues. There have been two seasons, two individual seasons with a K rate under 8%. I forget who they even were. I didn't I didn't even look. I just looked it up. I want to say it was Daniel Murphy in like 2015 and somebody else. I don't remember the other one, but yeah, it just it just doesn't happen. I mean, he's he's incredible. You know, I was thinking Correa. I remember Correa being the big deal, you know, 7 8 9 years ago in the minors. He was still striking out in the minor leagues as a youngster who made his way up early, 16, 18% of the time. So, yeah, big difference there even in that. But the speed is the thing I was going to ask you about because he did steal 18 bags in 114 games this last year, but he was also caught 14 times. So that shows that what you just said is one of two things. The instincts, the base running instincts aren't really there yet, or the speed isn't quite as fast. So yeah, it's real fair to question that speed and see where he's got him. And he's got time. If it's, if it's instincts, he can still learn that while he's going through the minors. If the speed, but yeah, I wouldn't be banking on this guy being a 20, 30 steel guy. Once he's in the bigs possible. Yeah. I just don't, it just doesn't matter with him. It's just ice. It's all icing on the cake, really. Yeah, I agree. And he I agree. did see him I did see him two times last year and he was 0 for eight in those two games. So keep me so, away keep keep me away from Wander Franco and he'll be fine. <laughs> all right. Um I know you had some late movement on this list. You sent me a list and then you ended up making some changes last minute. Which player on this group moved and why? Yeah, so right at the end, I uh, I put Julio at two ahead of Adele. And, uh, you know, I've given it a lot of thought. I, I feel like uh, kind of when I did it, it was almost more one of those things you're just so used to seeing Joe Adele at two and feeling like because he's close, he's that guy. And he's he's great. I mean, there's we'll get to him in a minute. But 
I pretty much put Julio ahead of him because I am more confident in his bat. I just think that his bat is a little bit better. And I expect a smoother transition to the big leagues. I could be wrong on that, but that's just kind of how I feel about it. And I don't think he's far away. It's not like Julio Rodriguez is one of these guys that's eons away. I mean, I think that he's probably up within, say, a year of baseball resuming, year to year and a half. And that's just not far enough away for me to... To me, to for me to really ding the guy, you know, he's got a lot of confidence. Look of a superstar, tore up the minors last year. I mean, really, really incredible. With Adele, uh, I think you could argue that Adele has maybe a little bit more ceiling because there's a more like it's more likely that Adele is going to provide you with some steals. I don't really know how many that's going to be. I mean, I. I could see him topping out around 15 to 20. I think he's going to be more of a power guy. And like I said, I just believe in Julio's hit tool a little bit more. But Adele's, Adele's really good, too. It, it, it's really like 2 and 2A. Two it was just a gut feeling, and I could change my mind pretty quickly on it, too. It, it's close, but I felt better putting Julio at 2. Tune in when we do the second half of this podcast. And Andrew will hop on and say he'll take Adele over Rodriguez. <laughs> <laughs> and then we'll record again the next one and he'll go back. I don't know. I, I felt pretty good about it for a little bit, but we'll see. It's tough. And They're definitely it's close. It's splitting hairs with a lot of these guys up here. Yeah. Um, Robert, Robert. Oh, man. I'm tr- I try not to do that. And still, every once in a while, I sp- slip out Robert. Yeah, we all do it. Uh, Luis Robert versus Adele is an interesting pairing back-to-back. They're both close to the majors. Robert will be up opening day, and there's a chance Adele is also. So why Adele over Robert, and how close do you feel those two are? I think they're close. I think Robert may have the highest ceiling of anyone, and I mean anyone, on the list. I mean, put Wander in, a, in his own list, but <laughs> after that, I mean, he went thir- 32 homers, 36 steals last year in 122 games. That is ridiculous. The thing with Robert, I think that there's more hit tool risk than there is with Adele. He does have more speed and as a result has more upside because in a perfect world, if every one of these guys hit their 100th percentile outcome, Robert is two on this list or maybe one. I mean, yeah. he could he could be a top of the first round guy in fantasy. And I'm not ignoring that at all. I feel like having him at four is just saying, just know that there is a little bit of risk that it's a struggle early on, you know, but I think we're going to know pretty quick. I mean, I'd rather have Robert than Adele in redraft just because of the speed that he'll provide and the fact that I feel pretty confident he's going to play right away and impact right away and stuff like that. I few questions with Adele short term, but long term, I really don't. I guess that's why I'm just got him one slot higher. So, but yeah, again, it's, it's really close. That's another one I agree with though. Okay. Uh, Gavin Lux, we'll go to him next. And when I talk about him, I've got to talk about somebody in the next here, skipping ahead here on one guy. And that's Dylan Carlson. He's at nine. 
And I feel like what you said about Carlson on last week's episode could be said about Lux also. Both are ready. Both have really good hit tools. And I feel both have similar upside. What is it that has Lux in the top five and Carlson down at nine? What is it that you're seeing in Lux that's different? Uh, The main two things are... I like that he can play up the middle and stay okay. on the dirt, like play just infield up the middle. I like that. And Lux has more speed. I think Lux is going to steal more bases over the early part of his career than Carlson definitely should last longer. He's more of a plus runner, whereas Adele's or uh, I'm sorry, Carlson is more of a above average runner to me. So. But it's close. These guys are all tight. I mean, if you wanted to put Carlson up with the uh, ahead of Lux, I, I wouldn't even really argue with that much. I felt a little more comfortable putting him at nine where I have him. But yeah, it's they're close. And as I say that, I personally feel I agree with your top four, and I would probably say that a tier that like right after four is an end of a tier. Would you agree with that or? Would you put it? Uh, I think that the top, for me, the top six are a tier. Okay. Or no, I take that back. Wander is a tier, and then two yes. through, and then two through six. It's interesting. I would have it four, and then from four to ten. Looking at your list, I would have all those pretty, cl- pretty much right there in one tier together. So that's interesting. Okay, well let's move on to. Oh, actually, yeah, we've got the gaps part so yeah okay moving on to the next group six through ten we got jared kelnick at six the outfielder for seattle mariners mckenzie gore san diego left-handed starting pitcher at seven cj abrams his teammate that's a shortstop first round pick last year is at eight dylan carlson as we mentioned before is at number nine and giants shortstop marco luciano andrews boy is at number ten and like I said, I think the group here is small. Um, but the first thing that sticks out to me on this list is C.J. Abrams. A few months back, as we were doing our first-year player draft podcast, I'm pretty sure you felt Jason Dominguez was the top, was your top pick in in those drafts. But Abrams has leapfrogged him here. Is does this say more about Dominguez or Abrams? I, you could you could say either. I probably more about Abrams though. Uh, a lot of a lot of Dominguez to me in a dynasty league is his trade value. I just think it's so much of it because he is somewhat far away, and you're going to have to wait a little bit. And like I kind of said last week, if if you Wait on it. I just feel like that there's more of a chance you're going to be a little disappointed than if you don't. We'll get to him in a minute, I guess. But with Abrams, I mean, it's top of the top of the scale speed. He's the fastest guy in the minors or in the top three or four. Double plus hit tool, 70 grade. I mean, it's just the perfect combination for, for fantasy. He's got an athletic type body. It's going to keep him up the middle. Tore up the AZL last year, 1100 OPS. 
MVP of the league, 15 steals in 34 games. It's just the type of guy that, like I said, he's going to stay up the middle. The offensive bar isn't even going to be that high, and he could lead the league in stolen bases. So all of that, I actually don't know if you noticed this when I sent you the second list, but I really struggled with these four, seven through ten. It was really mm-hmm. hard. It was really hard for me to uh, to rank these four, and I I made a couple change or a change in here. But yeah, that's that's really it. I mean i I would take I would take Abrams ahead of Dominguez. I also think that Abrams has a lot of trade value too. You know, mm-hmm. and while while Dominguez may be. Uh, maybe has a little bit more. I don't think it's much. And I just feel better about C.J. Abrams impacting fantasy teams sooner and uh, maybe even more, honestly. So, yeah. It's fair, and I I have thought about that, and I'm like, do I agree with that or not? And I honestly don't know. I, th- I think they're pretty close to even, and I obviously you got them three picks apart, so it's not like you think there's a big gap either. What I but you brought up something there that I was thinking in that was trade value. I do think Dominguez has more trade value, and I think his trade value is further apart than their ranking here. Even I think it may not be a huge, huge amount because we're still talking a number eight and a number eleven. And if they were flipped, I think trade value wise, I still think he'd have a little more trade value di- difference than that. But yeah, see, I I don't I don't know if I agree. I, in the dynasty mock that I just finished, Abrams went eighty-one, I think it was, uh-huh. and I got and I took Dominguez at one twenty. Wow! So I mean, it's I don't think I agree. I think Abrams has just as much or more. Well, I don't know. I don't want to say more, but just as much. I think that I do. I think he does. I there's so many people that I have heard talk about CJ, and it's just like everybody's excited about it because they know what he's going to bring to the table. Oh yeah, and Trey it's just exa- type upside. Yeah, it's exactly what everyone's starving for: speed, you know, mm-hmm. and, and he hits. I mean, it's just it's kind of all of that combined into one. But he's exciting. Okay, uh, next up, we'll go about to Mackenzie Gore, the only pitcher inside your top fifteen. It's pretty fun to debate him versus some of these bats right around here, and I see him ranked all over the place because he is a pitcher. But why is he head and shoulders above the other arms? Well, four-plus pitches or potential-plus pitches, you could say three, one that's close to plus in his curveball, plus command. Um, It just allows everything to play up. Last year... He had a 102 ERA at high A. It was the lowest in the history of the California League. By anybody, Which is a hitter's league. By anybody who's thrown at least 70 pitches, or 70 innings pitched, sorry. I, I think Mackenzie Gore is an ace in the major leagues. I think he's one of the best... Probably off the top of my head, and I have to go through the last few years, but I would say, to me, he's probably the best pitching prospect in five years. And I think there's an outcome where he's the best pitcher in the game someday. When I when I ranked these four, seven through ten, 
I didn't know how to order them. Gore, Abrams, Carlson, Luciano is how I did it. And the reason that I put Gore here, normally, you know, I would just put the pitcher last because that's the easiest thing to do and the thing that I would typically do. But as I sat there and thought about it, I'm like, if I think, if I truly think Gore's an ace and could be the best pitcher in the game someday, which I do, I do think that, there is really no spot on this list that is too high. Because that is so incredibly valuable. I mean, you see where the top end starting pitchers go. They go in the first round now or in the second, Mm -hmm. you know, in the second. And I just think he is going to be one of those guys. And if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. But I just kind of felt like the top six was my breaking point. I can put Mackenzie Gore seventh. So, Yeah, I don't have any issue with it at all. I He would be in my top ten also. And there's that saying you like to say, there is no such thing as a pitching prospect except Mackenzie Gore. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've kind of coined that. It's actually unless it's Mackenzie Gore, but yeah, that's uh, something I coined, and uh, yeah, I'm sticking sticking with that. So, T- ten step, uh, St- um, ten step, U I M G, yeah, wing, <laughs> ten step wing. I don't know how to say it, but <laughs> okay. Uh, Marco Luciano, he's been your guy. You want to talk about him here for a bit? Yeah, man, it's uh, it's just been great the last year. I I I was Better just for cap. for anybody who doesn't know, I was just I was really high on him last year. I was just aggressive on him coming over from the Dominican, and he completely skipped the Dominican summer league, age seventeen, goes straight to the AZL and crushes to the tune of. 322, 438, 616 slash line, 177 WRC plus. Gets promoted to short season and then had a hamstring injury pretty shortly after ended his season. Might have the fastest bat speed in all the minors. I mean, if not, it's really close. Maybe Wander, but being second to Wander in anything is there's nothing wrong with that. The only thing with Luciano, I really uh, wonder about is just where he's going to wind up defensively. I don't think he's a shortstop. I think that he's probably a third baseman or a right fielder. But with his bat, I I don't think it matters. I think he's like just one of those guys that it's kind of like Julio Rodriguez. It's just Julio Rodriguez is a little more advanced because he's just gotten a little, you know, closer to the majors. But uh, I don't really see anything stopping him on his way up i mean i think that in a year he's in julio rodriguez territory like where julio's viewed now you know which is near the top i mean i think he could be the best prospect in the game at at least that's a potential thing that could happen so yeah when i when i seem and i know that there's people that think i'm over aggressive on j2 players and these young kids but this is why i mean i just hear what I was saying last year and it just it just happened with Luciano I mean you have to be aggressive with these kids if you miss you just move on and try and try again and when you hit this is what happens he's a top 10 prospect yeah um he's he's had a heck of a run there last year and that's a really nice feather to have in your cap on him and man, his trade value has gone up a lot over this last year, and I still think there's a lot of to go 
with him in terms of value wise. It's really interesting that you just said like a at a year from now he could be right where Julio Rodriguez is and that's a good point, you know, in low A right now and if he's healthy he could just start he could have started if we had a normal season he could already be in high A right now if he was destroying low A and Julio Rodriguez missed some time with an injury, he'd probably be in double A to have finished last year. And yeah, I could see a situation where if this had been a normal year, he maybe he had even worked his way up into a double A in August and just gotten a handful of games there and pretty much already be talking about being on the door. So yeah, that's interesting. I hadn't yeah. thought about that. Yeah, I, I feel like that they're similar type guys. It's just kind of your classic masher, probably a right fielder. Like I said, maybe Luciano's a third baseman, but um, just hit tool, power, probably not a ton of speed, but yeah, I mean, they're both studs. I wanted to just uh, touch a little bit on Kellenic too. I yeah, think that, um, I don't know, I feel like some spots I've seen, I just feel like Kellenic is a little underrated still in ways. I I just think he's a really, uh, really great blend of floor and ceiling I've literally seen this guy comp to Christian Yelich. I know that sounds crazy, but it kind of just gives you, and it is, it's crazy, <laughs> but it just gives you the idea of what he could provide in fantasy. I also saw a comp to Grady Sizemore, which is probably a little more in line, although I don't know if you you remember Grady Sizemore in fantasy. Yeah, I would think that Kelnick is a better hit tool. For, was the first thing I uh, Sizemore was, I, I think there was a year where, don't quote me, but I know I owned him, but I think he had like 33 homers, 38 steals. Pretty good. Yes. Pretty good oh, batting yeah. averages, too. I mean, but I yeah. I remember the batting average being that great. That's where I'm a little thrown off. I'm looking right now. Well, I know I know he was the number one outfielder off the board in one of those yeah. years. I don't remember. God, it was probably like 08. He oh, hit 289 and 290 in consecutive seasons. Yeah. And it was 277. Then it dropped off, but a lot of that was post-injury. Better yeah. than I remembered. Yeah, I just think with Kellenic, it's a like a smooth across the board skill set that it's uh, is going to be really nice in fantasy. So I think you he's going to contribute everywhere. I'm going off here, but Grady Sizemore after all those injuries, but but from 2005 to 2008, the least amount of games played was 157, and there are two 162s in there. Jeez. Yeah. And then it just all his body completely failed him. Wow. Yeah, it's tough. Okay. Yeah. Okay, moving on. Uh, I'm going to list off 11 through 20 here. Jason Dominguez, who we've previously talked about, is at number 11. Royce Lewis is at 12. Andrew Vaughn with the White Sox is 13. Adley Rutschman with the Baltimore is at 14. Christian Robinson, Arizona outfielder, is at 15. 16 is Jesus Lazardo, pitcher for the A's. Alex Kirilov with the Twins, who plays outfield and first base, is at 17. Bobby Wood Jr. is at 18. Forrest Whitley with the Astros is at 19. And Nate Pearson, pitcher for the Toronto Blue Jays, is at 20. All right, let's start off with the Twins here. Both Royce Lewis and Kirilov had disappointing 2019 seasons. In different ways. Kirilov struggled with injuries to his wrist. He only played 94 games. And the power seemed to take a hit 
because of that injury, he only had nine games in the nine home runs in those 94 games. And Royce Lewis has now struggled with the batting average for the past season and a half since making his debut, making it to high A ball. But you're still holding on pretty strong to both, I'd say, in the both inside your top 20. So what what are your thoughts on these guys and holding with them with their ranks? Uh, I'll start with start with Royce here, just because he's at, he's at twelve. Uh, it really with Royce, it just comes down to how much he hits. I've always believed in him as a talent. I he was number one pick in the draft, and it's with these guys with this type of pedigree. I am just not the type of guy that overreacts to struggles in the minor league. Like I'm just I'm just always thinking like I believe in this guy's talent. I'm gonna just stick with it, you know. And granted, if he had had a big year, he'd probably be five or six on this list. You know, it just so he's here because of that. But I just can't fade him too hard. He did come around late in the year, won MVP of the Arizona Fall League. And um, I just yeah, I just believe in his tools. I think he's got a he's got a lot of noise in his swing. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but he's got a high leg kick. And I just think that some of that uh, messed him up a little bit. If he can quiet some of that down and tick up his hit tool maybe a little he it's a star i mean i just i do i still think that he can be a star really do and then kirilov you have any thoughts on royce or no, no i mean i agree with everything you said i remember that leg kick we were talking about that a lot in baseball 365 last year that was a heck of a leg kick going on at that time yeah. good kid really good interview that's the only other thing i'll say yeah, Kirilov, I just think it was mostly injuries, uh, pure hitter. He had Tommy John in 2017, wrist issues last year. I wonder, one thing I've thought about is I could see, and this is some speculation, but I think I heard it in one place, but I, I could see him being a piece that they move to get somebody big like at at a trade deadline or something. I mean, I don't know what's going on this season, so it's hard to even say right now. But um, I've kind of thought that because I think he's an outfielder slash first base. And while, you know, they've got Sano now at first. uh, And then they've got guys in the outfield too, where I don't know if they really need Kirilov. I mean, obviously Kirilov could help them when, when the time comes, you know, but... I could also see him being a guy that they trade to get like a big pitcher or something to really help them because obviously their lineup is really good, really dynamic. They can, I mean, it's arguably the best lineup in the game. So I just kind of thought that, but yeah, I could see him kind of shifting to first base last year. He, in his 94 games played, he played 35 of them at first, kind of moved around in the outfield other than that, but yeah, he'll need to keep hitting for sure with that type of profile, but I think he will. So, could definitely see a trade. I mean, they have so many bats in that lineup already. Yeah, that I could. Yeah, I could definitely buy that. Uh, moving on, Jesus Lazardo. He missed most of last year. Had Tommy John surgery a few years ago, so health is definitely a question with him and that shoulder specifically after last year. If he had been healthy these last few years, he probably likely wouldn't be on this list, I'd say. He'd have probably been up a year or two ago. But despite all that, he's 16 on this list. 
And I got a question. Had he stayed healthy the past few years, would you feel his upside would be similar to that of Mackenzie Gore? Uh, pro- I mean, probably not, but it's hard to say if, if we were sitting here and that was the case. It's 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 tough to say. I, I feel like the thing is, is, I feel like he's healthy now, so I don't really worry about it too much. I know we, we kind of always talk injuries. It's like these pitchers, they only have so many bullets, and the ones that are good, they're good. I'm going to just go with it. I get that he's had injury questions, but. Uh, he's definitely big-time talent. Yeah, I mean, he's close to the majors. Obviously, I pitched a few innings in the majors last year. I know it wasn't much. I can't remember how many big league debut in September, I know. But uh, I've always kind of thought of him as more of a number two, but he could be more than that. Fastball touches 98, great changeup. I did see a Johan Santana comp, so I thought that was oh, wow. that kind of made me Kind of woke me up, but twelve comps, innings. So. Comps are fun to me, but I also am realistic with them. I know a lot of times when I say it, just kind of gives you the idea of the type. You know, that's all I think of it when I. I know sometimes I say those like Kellen at Christian Yelich. I mean, come on, but you know what I'm saying. You heard it here, guys. <laughs> yeah, Chris, uh, Jared Kelnick is Christian Yelich, and Jesus Lazardo is going to be better than a Johan Santana. <laughs> yep. <laughs> come find come find me if uh, if they're not. Let's move on to the next couple pitchers at the back end of this, and that's Forrest Whitley and Nate Pearson back to back at the end of the teens. You're taking Whitley here on this list, but how close are those two? Real close. It's um, basically a coin flip. I actually like Pearson a little bit more, or actually quite a bit more short term. But I think Whitley is, at the end of the day, probably the better pitcher, has the better career. I kind of am getting vibes with Whitley that it's going to be a lot like Tyler Glass now. You're just going to have to be patient. It's going to take a little bit. Um, it seems kind of – it just feels that way to me with all the moving parts and the height. You know, he's six seven like Glass now, and I just – I'm kind of getting those vibes with him, but I do think he's ultimately probably a little bit better than Pearson, but Pearson coming into all of this before all this nonsense, he was going to be my AL rookie of the year. So I really like him close to the big leagues. I mean, he should probably be up quickly, I would think. And I just think it's one of those guys he's going to dominate the first time through. And then after that is where I wonder because he's just a big guy relies a lot on velocity he's gonna have to keep his weight in check i mean there's some things that i could see being problems down the line but not really being problems right away so but yeah those guys are really close and if you honestly wanted to put them right next to lazardo i get it too i mean those guys all three of them i'm here's what's great about what you just said about forrest whitley and tyler glass now that's easy to say right now after um, Whitley just had that frustrating season last year. But I remember you saying that before the year began last year. Before the struggles began, you were even saying you could see him coming up and having Tyler Glass now like, like struggles. Yeah. And he hasn't come up yet, but he had Tyler Glass now like struggles last year. So, yeah, that was a good call at that time. It's a good comp now. 
And I like that you said that about Nate Pearson because I do remember you saying that before the year. I don't know if we talked about that on air, but I remember I, I almost brought that up as you were saying that, and um, I didn't know if you had said it before. Yeah, Whit- Whitley, uh, he just needs to get the control in check. I mean, 6.6 yep. 6 walks per nine last year. It's just a really rough year, and his control right now is below average, so that's somewhat concerning, but... I will say that if I had to pick one of the one pitcher in the minors to be better than Mackenzie Gore, it'd probably be Forrest Whitley, like over the course of their career. So, and let's see, uh, three first-year player guys we, that we discussed on the first-year player draft show in February. Anything you want to add on any of those? That's Jason Dominguez, Adley Rutschman, and uh, Bobby Witt. And Andrew Vaughn, four of them. Oh, it's four, yeah. yeah. I don't know which one I, when I wrote that, I guess, I don't know which one I missed. Probably Vaughn. Yeah, with Dominguez, just real quick, I know we already talked about him. I don't want to sound like a hater. I recognize, fully recognize he could be the best prospect in the game. Um, I look at that guy at age 17, and I just struggle to find a way that he has speed when he's 23. If you can look at him and see that, more power to you. I just don't. And right now is, you know, he's kind of been one of those guys that's touted as a five tool guy. Maybe he will be that, but I just wonder about that. It's a ways away, but you know, his debut is a ways away too. So I, I could see him being a little more of a masher than some people um, seem to think, and a little bit less on, on the speed side of it. But uh, he definitely is going to be really good. With Vaughn and Adley, kind of group them together. They're kind of those safe college bats, high floor. I think they're both going to be really good. I am really starting to like Adley. The more I've looked into him and just, it's, if, I mean, this guy has every accolade, College World Series title, College World Series most outstanding player, led the U.S. national team, be, uh, Baseball America College Player of the Year last year. This is all in the last couple of seasons he's he's just everything you want in a catcher and when you think about like i said at the top 15 team two catcher leagues 30 catchers i think that there's a very very realistic chance he's a top three catcher in the league oh yeah for a long time i'm talking i mean this is the best catching prospect at least since buster posey you know so mm-hmm. i don't like getting hyped about catchers and i never will again if adley rutschman busts i can pro <laughs> i can promise you that but the bar like i kind of said too the bar is so low at catcher he doesn't really have to even be that great and he's gonna be a good catcher you know and i just think he could have huge impact i mean i i think that within it won't shock me if within a year of his call update He's the number one catcher off the board in redraft. I mean, it's just that's the type of talent that he is. So the year is twenty fifty two, and it's episode number eight hundred and seventy nine or eight thousand seven hundred and ninety. And I'm talking about Yachty Molina the third, looking like he's about to be the next great thing. And Andrew saying, "Well, back in two thousand and twenty, I said." <laughs> that Adley Rutschman was going to be the next big thing, and he sucked. Yeah. So, no, Yadi Molina III will suck. I will <laughs> not draft him. 
<laughs> yeah, that's funny. That's probably uh, that sounds pretty accurate. And then with with <laughs> with Vaughn too. I mean, Vaughn is probably he's going to be up even sooner. Could be this year. I mean, depending on the type of year we have, but with him, it's just obviously a little bit more pressure on the bat because of first base. But I don't think there's much to worry about. He's a really, really good hitter. The only thing you kind of wonder is it's like, well, if it's 280 with 25 home runs, that's good. But at first base, that's not great, you know? And I think there's a chance that it's that, but the upside is one of the best hitters in the league, no doubt. So, Okay, I almost feel bad now because we've talked about nine of these ten and Christian and I, Robinson hasn't been mentioned. Yeah, I love Christian Robinson. We'll just leave. Yeah. We can just let it go. I did. I saw <laughs> Christian Robinson last year. He's built like a wide receiver. I mean, he's just crazy uh athletic looking guy it's crazy crazy power and tools but some risk because some swing and miss so okay well let's take a break and we're going to come back and talk about the guys in the 20s here Twenty-one through thirty. Here we go. Noel V. Marte with the Seattle Mariners shortstop is at twenty-one. Drew Waters with the Braves is at twenty-two. Vidal Brujan with Tampa Bay, the second baseman, is at twenty-three. Michael Kopech, pitcher for the White Sox, is at twenty-four. Uh, pitcher run here. Matt Manning, twenty-five, with the Tigers, and his teammate Casey Mize is at twenty-six. Dustin May. The redhead with the Dodgers is at 27. And then we got Jordan Groshans, third baseman for the Toronto Blue Jays, 28. And the two Diamondbacks at 29 and 30, Corbin Carroll and Alec Thomas, both outfielders. Let's start with the pitcher run here. Four arms all in a row. Two have debuted. Two are pretty close to debuting. Why don't you start off discussing how close these guys are were were to each other and anything else about on these guys you want to talk about yeah so that'd be 24 through 27 Kopech, manning mize and may so i think they're all close uh, i have may fourth probably the most comfortably of the order there mostly because i think his ultimate ceiling is probably not an ace. I think he's probably like a number two. I think, I think the other three guys, at least in short bursts, mostly speaking to Kopech, when I say that have ace upside, um, obviously Kopech coming back from the Tommy John, but when he's been healthy, it's been like 95 to 98. He's touched one Oh two improving his command, improving his command and his change up. I mean, He's gotten the Cindergard comps. We all kind of know about who he is, what he is. Just waiting for him to come back and see. I just think that um, there's still a lot of ceiling there. I think the same with Manning. Um, obviously a little bit younger and hasn't been in the majors. But three-plus pitches, uh, you know, I'll, I'd say two. The changeup is a work in progress a little bit. But... In 70 career minor league starts, Matt Manning's got 11 Ks per nine, so he knows how to strike guys out. Big guy, 
Uh, always gotten results throughout the minors. Walk rate's been improving every year. So, and he was a former first round pick. I mean, all these guys are, I think, besides May. But, um, and then Mize, I mean, everybody knows about him. It's just the, really with Mize, it's the injuries because he's been so beat up. But I think, assuming health, you could probably argue Mize is the safest to be a really good major league pitcher. So, like all four of those guys. Man, Mize was just tearing through the minor leagues last year before. He got that. He had that injury and was shut down. He was the talk. I remember of the prospects at yeah. this point a year ago, right? I think he hadn't had that injury until May or June, ish. And man, when you look at some of his stats, I think he threw a perfect game or a no hitter. Yeah, it, the minors, he, he threw a yeah he threw a no hitter. I think it was in his first start in the uh, in the Eastern League. Can't remember. Yeah. That might not be right, but I think that's I think that's right. He was pretty good. Um, I know you've been a Noel V. Marte fan for a while now. Why don't you talk about him? Yeah, so I definitely am a, definitely am a Noel V. guy. Really, with him, it's just kind of one of those things where the sky really is the limit. I mean, he dominated the DSL last year, age 17, 309, 371, 5'11", slash nine homers, 17 steals, uh, five-tool talent. Um, I have heard some variations of his the reports on his speed, so it could be anywhere from average, but I've heard a double-plus, too. So that's kind of could go any way. Probably has a lot to do with how he fills out as he grows up. But one thing that I've heard a lot this off season, you know, you hear these questions and I've, I've read it several times and I've heard it several times, but people always have the question, who is the guy that's going to be a top 10 guy in a year that isn't in the top 20 or 30 or whatever. And I'm not kidding. Every time that I have heard that question, the answer has been Noel V. Marte. So factor all that in, I I think that there's a good, a very good chance that happens. And when you have a guy like guys in this spot, I mean, the guys below him, at least directly below him and really on down for a while. I mean, I don't really see that type of upside. I'm willing to get aggressive on a guy just knowing that. I mean, if I think that that's what's going to happen, why would I? be afraid of it and they're all prospects you know anything can happen anyway so everything he's done was in the dominican summer league so he still has to come stateside when he he comes stateside and he hits like that in full season ball or whatever i think they're probably going to move him straight to low a i've heard he's on the julio rodriguez track and all that but um if he does that when he comes over i mean he's going way he's going all the way to the top I th- I th- honestly think his upside is the number one prospect in the game. Yeah. Looking at his rookie ball stats right now, I really haven't – I mean, I've heard you talk about him, but I haven't really dove into him. I missed out on shares of him, but good Lord. He really was impressive looking at this. I can I, – you know, for being such a young kid, nine home runs, 17 steals in 65 games – doesn't strike out too much, takes walks. Yeah, that's impressive. You know how I and, you know how I was saying like 
Luciano in a year could be Julio. Uh-huh. I think Noelvi in a year could be, Lu- could be Luciano. Yeah. I kind yeah. of look at all of this kind of like a track, and it's like – and there's another guy a little bit later that I think is going to be viewed like Noelvi in a year. Or, you know, I say year as if, you know, if there's no baseball this year, it just pushes everything back. But you get the general point. Drew Waters, let's go on to him. I know I'm kind of scouting the box score with what I'm about to say, but I I don't understand this guy and the fascination. And I'm not really pointing at juice, but only I, I've I see him ranked strongly on a lot of lists that I look at. But 134 games played this last year, seven home runs and 16 steals. He doesn't walk a lot, and he's striking out at a high mark. So. With me just looking at box scores, what is it about this guy that has him ranked so high by you and others? What is it that I'm not seeing? So every every tool with Drew Waters is above average to plus. Uh, basically all 55s and 60s, which is really good. I mean, that's really fantasy-friendly skill set. Uh, he's a really good athlete. One thing to keep in mind with him is how young he is last year he opened in the southern league as the youngest player in the league and spent all of last season at age 20 and had a 144 wrc plus made it to triple a should be in the major soon uh i a lot of times like with prospects i don't I don't care as much about stats and like, I think there's a lot of noise in when you look at minor league stat lines, because I was just telling somebody else this the other day, but when you're just looking at at stats from the minors, I mean, those stats aren't telling you if they were facing Casey Mize or if they were facing a pitcher that is never even going to come close to sniffing The majors, you know, there's a lot of, I mean, I hate to say it, but there's a lot of junk in the minors. There's guys that are just not even, they're pretty much just warm bodies that are just filling in, you know? So I just feel like there's a lot of noise in the numbers. Focus a little bit more on the tools. And I look a lot at age too, because I just think you can forget about age and think of how young a guy is. I mean, Drew Waters just turned 21 and he could be in the majors really soon. And I mean, that's, that kind of says a lot right there, but that's going to be a nice, uh, nice outfield with Acuna and Pache and waters. Waters can play all three positions too in the outfield. He's not going to play center because of Pache, but yeah, hits the ball hard. I, did, I don't think he's near a finished product. I guess there's a lot of it too. So that's a good point about the age. I hadn't noticed that. Played all last year. Made it to Triple A as a twenty-year-old, so he yeah. is playing well. People older than him at that level. I mean, heck, you're playing thirty-year-olds in Triple A. <laughs> yeah, that's that is the truth. That's the funny thing. It's why well, sometimes, oh, yeah. sometimes with those stats, you have to remind yourself of that. You know, so. I think it was 2015, 2014. I actually went to an Omaha Storm Chasers game up in Nebraska, that's the Royals AAA club, and they played the Padres AAA team 
that year. And I don't remember all the names, but it was comical watching that San Diego Padres AAA team play. Um, they had Jeff Francoeur and a bunch of those type of guys all up and down their lineup. I'm trying yeah. to remember what the name of that Brave was. Uh, I, it's He had a funny name, and I'm not going to remember it quick enough. But they had a bunch of Jeff Francoeurs going out there playing. So that's who Drew Waters is going against right now. Yeah, the the Pirates, uh, the Pirates AAA is down in Indy, which I could go to, and I've thought about it a few times, and I just never have because there, I don't know, the games just aren't as appealing to me because the top prospects just usually aren't there. I mean, they're yeah. or they're there for short periods of time, you know. Yeah, you got to what? Wait a minute, the Pirates. Their top prospect is sitting there for two and a half seasons. That's true, yeah. Yeah, up. that's fair. Yeah. <laughs> they right. also have to have one, and right now their farm doesn't look so great. I'm sure you know I'd be thrilled about Groshan's rank here. Uh, his foot injury kept his 2019 season short, but, man, he really impressed before that injury. Do you think he could be a top 10 point guy at this point next year? Uh, top 10's maybe pushing it but yeah i definitely i definitely really like him I, last year foot injury limited him to 23 games uh, but for that first month in the midwest league he was the best hitter in the league 167 wrc plus in that time i know it's not a huge sample but former first round pick 2018 i mean he's potentially a 60 60 bat he should hit should hit for power the one thing with him, I know you said third base, and that is what I put down. He actually played all of last season at shortstop, but I just mm-hmm. I just already think of him as a third baseman because I know that he's not going to be a shortstop, and a lot of people are listing him as third at third base, even though he yeah. didn't play there. But kind of what I was going back, or what I was saying at the beginning about focusing on guys up the middle, and basically if they're not guys that are up the middle – I have to believe in their bat. I don't think Jordan Groshans is playing up the middle. I think he's a third baseman, but I have him ranked here because I just I he's one of those exceptions. I do believe in his bat. I think he's going to be really good. It's a small sample so far, but there's enough here to show that he's a great hitter. And I think once he like if he has a big season, it's it'll take off even more. And yeah, maybe maybe he could get to the top ten. But he kind of has to because it was just such a small sample in the last season. It hasn't really dinged him yet. But I feel like if that happened again or if he didn't kind of take off with this next season, then it's going to be hard to move up, you know? Yeah, I sure hope that foot injury is behind him. And I really don't remember hearing much over the offseason about that. No. But... It just kept coming back. He'd try getting back on the field, and then next thing you know, he was shut back down with the foot. Yeah, the the uh, the Jays' low A team where he was playing isn't too far from me. It's a little drive, but it's not real far. And I remember there was a stretch there for a while where I was checking to see if he was back because I wanted to go see him. And it was like every time I would look, it's like, what is going on with Jordan Groshans? Because there really wasn't a lot of news. I just, I didn't even really know. And then, you know, you find out later on. But We've talked about everybody but three guys. Uh, 
Bruhan, Carol, Thomas, anything you want to add on those guys? Or move um, on? not much. I mean, Bruhan's got a lot of speed. It's really his carrying tool. Uh, real. The main thing with him is you just. I wonder where he ends up defensively and. If he's a utility guy, I hate to say that, but it's like with the Rays, it's just it's hard to say. I think there's risk, but like if he's a if he's an everyday player, he's going to be good in fantasy because he's going to run a ton, and he has pretty good on base skills and stuff. Corbin Carroll and Alec Thomas, I feel like are almost identical players. They're they're one inch and ten pounds apart, one year <laughs> one year apart. And three of their tool grades are the exact same. The only difference, really, is Corbin Carroll's faster. And that's pretty much it. Alec Thomas is still a really good runner. I think they're extremely similar. I actually saw Alec Thomas last year and kind of wanted to, or was going to go see Corbin Carroll this year, but not going to be able to do that. But I've seen some comps with Alec Thomas, like Ben Benintendi, Adam Eaton type, and and, um, yeah, they, that kind of seems to fit. I mean, good top-of-the-lineup guy that get on base and stuff. So, but yeah, both both good prospects. Yes, they are. Okay, let's move on 31 through 40 here. We got Luis Patino uh, with the Padres at pitcher at 31. A.J. Puck with Oakland at 32. George Valera with the Indians outfielder 20, uh, at 33. Carter Keboom. With the Washingtons at 34, Spencer Howard, pit, Philadelphia pitcher at 35, Riley Green with Detroit is at 36, Trevor Larnick with Minnesota is at 37, Nolan Gorman with the Cardinals is at 38, Alec Baum with Philly is at 39, and Nick Madrigal with the White Sox is at number 40. George Valera, we talked about his swing looking like Cano is a, a year ago, and well, that swing came with a lot of swing and miss last year with strikeout rates at 27% in low A and 34% in a very small sample six-game stretch in high A. And this is your first list that you've put out. You didn't make one last year, but in your imaginary 2019 list, if you were thinking back right now, do you think he dropped a little bit in value over the past year? Yeah, I would have had him higher a year ago. Um, he actually, the small sample was low A. The the bigger sample was uh, short season. Short season, so he okay. he didn't get to high A. But yeah, I would have had a, had him higher last year. Um, this is my favorite swing in the minor leagues, and it's not even really that close. Even with all of the um, you know, like a lot of people seem like they're down on Valera. And I kind of get it. Last year, I mean, what I try and focus on, because I've always been I've always believed in this guy. I've liked him for a while now. I see a 142 WRC plus in short season ball and a 15% walk rate. And these samples with George Valera are really small. I mean, you're looking at how many plate appearances? 48, 40, 236 plate appearances since he turned pro. I mean, he's been 
well, the first year he, I think it was his ham eight, and um, you know, only got yeah, he barely in. played that first year. That's what I was going to say. Is he pretty much missed the whole year? Right, right. So it's just kind of one of those things. As an amateur, he was comp to Juan Soto. Now he's not going to be that, but it just kind of gives you an idea about his hit tool. It's special. I'm not going to let results at age 18 in the low minors drastically change my opinion on a guy that I really believe in, you know, it's just now, if he goes through another year or two, maybe like that where it's a little tough then maybe, but yeah, I just don't believe that you should bail on a bat at that age that, that you believe in. And I just always liked him. Wouldn't surprise me at all. If he just absolutely mashed his next go around. So yeah, still a Valera fan. I feel like, um, Probably one of the higher guys on him, but I've seen at least one or two other guys that have him in this range, so I feel comfortable with it. I would take him ahead of the guys below him, so I have to have him here. Yeah, I think it's a good rank. I'd probably around the spot I think he should be in, too. Um, I found it interesting to see Green and Larnick back-to-back on this list as the scouting reports I have heard I was hearing on Green going into first-year player drafts, reminded me of Larnick. But here they are back-to-back. And I have to say, I think I'm lower on both of them. Both have solid hit tools, but questions about how much power is going to come. So just talk about these two in general and your thoughts about them. Yeah, so Riley Green, Detroit outfielder. I mean, he was the first-round pick. I think I think he went five overall, but... Really smooth left-handed swing. I mean, his power should only grow. And that's kind of one of those things, like when you were saying that they have good hit tools, and especially Riley Green. I mean, he does, he has a really good hit tool, plus hit tool. And I kind of like when these young guys are more hit over power as opposed to power over hit because he's going to grow into power because of how much that he hits, you know? And like, I just don't, I just don't really worry about power. It's more of a projection thing when they're this young, you know, he's only 19. Not, I think the key with him is just not selling out for the power because he has a strong approach. He's a really good hitter, hits the ball to all fields. Um, K rate was a little high last year, but he was also a high school draftee and made it to full season ball. I mean, that's just, that doesn't happen really. I mean, maybe two or three guys a year, you know, so pushed aggressively. I mean, I, I think he's probably the best fit, best, best fit in a corner spot, but um, I do, I believe in the bat. It's, I just think it's going to be one of those guys that hits for high averages and hits for power when he eventually gets to the majors It's still a little ways off, but I think he's going to be really good. And then with Larnick, um, uh, a little bit more power, maybe a little bit less of a hit tool, at least currently, but he's also 23 and just a lot bigger of a guy, more filled out. He's an OBP machine, walks a ton. Um, a little bit of question, like I think he could DH a little bit more early, or not more, but earlier in his career than a lot of guys do. So he's going to have to get to power in games and stuff like that, but He's consistently posted WRC plus in like the 148, 149 range. So, I mean, once again, good hitter. 
and he's probably pretty close to his debut here. Another one of those guys I was mentioning, like, or thinking of when I was mentioning the Twins outfielders and Kirilov possibly being a big piece to bring something back. Larnick's coming. They have Buxton. They have Rosario. They have Kepler. I didn't even think of him. So there's obviously uh, a lot of bats to go around there. And, and maybe they could move Larnick, too. I mean, or want, you know, maybe him instead of Kirilov. Who knows? Yeah, that's what I was going to actually say right there as you were talking is maybe Larnick is the guy they move instead of him. And then you said it. So that solved or that you you hit what I was about to say. Uh, moving on to Nolan Gorman. He has about as high of power upside as anyone in this group. But he also has as much downside as any bat in the top 50, I'd say. What percent chance do you think he has of being an all-star level player in the majors? If you're just like, uh, throwing a dart out like, there. Like making an all-star team, basically? Yeah, making an all-star team, being in the conversation for a few years. I'd say 30 to 40%. Yeah. But I think a, that that's pretty good when you consider that he's still in high A. You know, I mean, it's, that's pretty good. So I like Gorman. I mean, it's just one of those guys, massive raw power needs to do, you know, he needs to do better getting to it in games and there's swing and miss for sure, but still was an above average hitter in the Florida state. I mean, his line in the Florida state league, 256, 304, 428 slash, that looks bad, and it was still a 117 WRC plus. So it was still about. I mean, Florida State League. For those that don't know, it's the most pitcher friendly league in the entire minors. So numbers there are just they're not going to look that good, and his obviously mm-hmm. and his obviously don't. But I just think that with Gorman, if he, you know, walk totals will help him help his case if he can do a little bit better with his approach. They've been a little up and down so far, and I do think it could be a bumpy ride, but I still think that this guy could be 35 to 40 bombs at third base. I mean, he has a ton of power. Yes, he does. More, uh, really, we, really more than most of the guys that we will go through. I mean, he has a lot, so... Are, are most scouting reports at 70-grade yeah. power right now, or are they giving them Yeah, 70-grade pretty much, yeah. Some of it, some of it question, is just how much of it do you get to, you know, because you could have all the power mm-hmm. in the world, but if you swing through everything, what does it matter? I mean, that's kind of the, the yep. game that you play. But, um, yeah, I, just, I think he'll get there. And like I said, it could be a little bumpy, but I think he's going to get there. Like that Royals prospect, the outfielder who struck out like 45% of the time this year. Oh, Sully Sully Matias. Sully Matias, (laughs) yes, that guy. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, Uh, Nick Madrigal, he's got an amazing hit tool. Not much power, maybe no power, but how much speed will he provide? That's the big question right now. In the next five years, what would you predict will be his high total in a season for stolen bases? One single season. Hmm, that's a good question. I'm going to say 30. 
and I'm glad you said that because I honestly think 30 is the highest that it could get to. Like, if you would get that's the high end of what I would guess. Yeah, 22, 24 might be it. And man, if I, I he's going to be a good batting average guy. I think that's pretty, pretty, almost a lock just because of his incredible bat-to-ball skills and getting the ball in play. But, my gosh. I mean, it, and the power, I don't expect to be that great. Or, um, I say that great, I'm sitting there thinking while talking. I don't expect it to be that um, much of anything. Yeah, no. I mean, he hit, yeah, it's, it's pretty much zero. I mean, he'll have single-digit home runs, <clears throat> most likely. But, yeah. How about this? 705 plate appearances in the minor leagues, 21 strikeouts. <laughs> it's actually kind of hilarious. I mean, he's he's just a very different type of player. There's really no guy like that uh, in the minor leagues right now or even in recent memory. I don't even know. I don't really remember a guy exactly like this, but hit the ball a little more in the air last year. I mean, that's not really a – necessarily a good thing for him just because he doesn't have much power like we said but he does have good speed plus speed should hit for high averages i one thing i think of with madrigal and this is some this is partially my own speculation but i wonder when he's facing major league pitching and and they know that he's not going to do any real damage. I mean, like if you know that the the worst thing that's going to happen is the guy's going to hit a single or maybe a double, aren't you just going to go right at him? Like I don't mm-hmm. I don't really think he's going to have high walk totals because of that because I just think that guys are going to attack him. Now granted, that could result in him hitting 320. I mean, he definitely can hit. But I don't know. It, it could be a lot of singles and doubles, but I do think there's speed um, it's kind of a it's kind of a tough a tough guy to evaluate honestly because I think there's a world where he's hitting for high averages and stealing bases and scoring a lot of runs at the top of a lineup. I see that side of it, and I also see the side that hits three home runs or five home runs, and it's hard, especially in this day and age, to have those guys in your lineup every day. You know, it's just it's tough. We see it with like Malik Smith or. D Gordon, Billy Hamilton in the past, like these rabbits. And I don't even think he, he's not that fast, but better hitter. Of course. I just, I just wonder, um, you know, if, is there any power in there he can get to, but I, I really don't, uh, don't see it. So I don't know. It's, it's a tough one. Yeah. I remember D Gordon early in his career. And I think Billy Hamilton dealt with the same thing. I'm about to mention. They had such little upper body strength that pitchers knew that they could bust them in. And they came yeah. in hard at them all the time. And I could see that happening to Madrigal as he gets up. And how he adjusts to that will be really critical for him. Yeah, definitely. Uh, anyone else in this group you want to touch on? We've got a couple guys we haven't really mentioned or move on. Uh, who else did we have? Patino. Patino's electric. I had him at 31. Kind of the stuff I say about... Short righties, I just throw out with that guy. I mean, he's just, he's a different cat, man. 11.7 Ks per nine last season. He's kind of on the Lazardo track to me where it's just, 
kind of straight to the top, really. I, I really don't see um, – I, I know there's a lot of people that are high on Patino. I am too. And then with Puck, I've, Puck reminds me a lot of Josh Hader. A lot of – I knew you were going to say a that. Lot, yeah, a lot of the stuff that you're hearing now. I actually even recently read older scouting reports the, of Josh Hader, and it was. It was a lot of the same stuff, fastball slider – is great needs to work on control and change up and you know he's got the crazy k number i mean he's got 262 k's and 183 minor league innings i mean the k's are bonkers he's already 25 so he does need to kind of hit his stride but i think he's going to get a chance to start i don't think he's i'm not going to call him josh Hader right now because i think the a's are going to give him every shot to start but just something that i kind of thought when thinking of him Keyboom and Bomb, okay. Keyboom and Bomb were the other two. I think they'll both probably get shots in the near future, especially Keyboom. Yeah, I think both of them are playing this year. Okay, last ten we're going to do on this show. We got Taylor Trammell at forty-one with the Padres now. Jazz Chisholm, another one that was traded last summer with Miami uh, at forty-two. Christian Pache with Atlanta at forty-three. Brendan Rogers at forty-four. Nolan Jones with Cleveland at 45. Your boy, Maximo Acosta, Texas Rangers, is at 46. Uh, Luis Rodriguez with the Dodgers is at 47. Eric Pena with for- the Royals at 48. Relvis Martinez with Toronto is at 49. And finally, O'Neill Cruz with Pittsburgh is at 50. Uh, the first four on this list are... Players I would consider divisive. I've seen them ranked everywhere from the top 25 to the back end of the top 100. Especially Trammell, Jazz, and Brennan Rogers. When I listen to other prospect podcasts that I catch, it seems a lot of those guys have one foot out the door on those three. And Pache has long been a divisive player for fantasy value. Just because... He of his defense, he provides some. You know, people just have different views on him. So why don't you just talk about these four guys? I don't know. You don't have to. You can talk about them all individually. You can talk about some of them. Whatever, whoever it is, you won't talk about from that group. Yeah. So with Tremel, uh, he had kind of a tough year. Uh, he was kind of he was going through a swing change early on when he was with the Reds, and after the trade, the Padres coaching started working with his swing and kind of got it back in order. He still wasn't great, got a little bit better, but then in the playoffs, Texas League playoffs, he had three home runs, 998 OPS, so it kind of came together right at the end. Uh, the key the key to it, though, is that he got better. He progressively got better after the changes. Uh, a lot of fantasy-friendly tools. I've liked him before. I know that there, he's kind of, like you said, he's kind of, he is divisive. He's kind of all over the board, but... He just needs to keep hitting, keep progressing. Um, likely a left fielder. His arm's not very good, but um, I do think that there's fantasy-friendly tools there. Uh, kind of similar a little bit with Chisholm, though Chisholm was better, I would say. I mean, at least, especially after his trade. He actually got traded, too, last year, obviously, in the Zach Gallon deal. Um, WRC plus of 156 after the trade, only 112 before. Uh, I actually heard in an interview him say that he felt a lot more comfortable after he was traded. Just an interview I was listening to. 
And he still ended the season with 21 homers, 16 steals. Miami needs a star. I, I've said it. I, I think that uh, he would just be such a – if he could pan out to be a star, I just think it would be so great for Miami. I think a lot of uh, fans would just um, – I don't know what's the word like relate to relate to that player. Yeah, yeah he's he's just um, got a lot of interesting uh, components to him. So I like Chisholm a lot. Pache, you don't like him, do you? No, he's not one of my guys. So I th- I'll just yeah I'll I'll start, but I want to hear uh, I want to hear your takes. Uh, so with Pache, I I'm actually higher on him now than I used to be. Main reasons are are this. He's got three seventy grade tools: his speed, his defense, and his arm. I heard two years ago, you know, and Pache two years ago was nineteen years old. It might have even been three years ago that he you could drop him into center field in the major leagues today, and he'd win Gold Gloves. That was two three years ago. So there's a floor with this guy that I just think has to be discussed. I mean. He's always, always going to be in a lineup because of his defense. It's double yes. plus center fielder and center field. Once again, it, this isn't, we're not talking about third base or left field. I mean, we're talking center fielder. This is the guy that's going to move Ronald Acuna over, you know? So it's kind of, um, kind of all those things. I mean, the bats are work in progress. He's been a pretty bad base dealer, actually. I think he needs to work on his base running. He was like 8 of 19 last year, 7 of 15 the year before, which is weird because he's fast. But the floor to me is like a Jackie Bradley Jr., which doesn't excite anybody. But at the same time, Jackie Bradley Jr. is still getting opportunities because of how good he is on defense. And if, if Pache did not have that, his bat just might cause him to fizzle out. But he's not going to fizzle out because he just he'll be a – center fielder for you know for a long time so i think that that just has to be built in i mean it gives you just more chances at it it's kind of like more uh more cracks at the whip or whatever you want to call it you know if you are providing that value on defense to your uh actual team and obviously he's going to be doing that so curious your thoughts but i do think he has has some ceiling too if some of it comes together i mean he's really young has some speed, has pretty good power. Just, um, like I said, just kind of has to come together. But he's definitely going to get the opportunities to do it. You know who I kind of think of when I think of Christian Pache? And this is going to make you say gross whenever I say this name. Peter Borjos. Yeah. Uh, P- <laughs> Peter Borjos was this incredible center fielder that came up for the Angels uh, 10 years ago. Incredible really good defensive skills. Mike Trout came up, so he became expendable for them because his bat really never progressed into being this great bat. He had all kinds of speed, but it really didn't translate on the field. And it just, he became expendable, went to the Cardinals. He was a Cardinals starting center fielder that first year in 2014 for about the first month. And they just realized that he wasn't worth keeping in there. And they started playing John Jay over him shortly after. And I'm not saying that he's going to have a career Peter Borges, but I just kind of, I'm just saying one reminds me of the other. He, it goes back to, I'm not sure how great the bat is. 
the steals, like you said, going back to 2017 when he was in low A, he stole 32 bags and he was still caught 14 times. Then we go into 2018 with high A and double A, and he stole seven bases and was caught eight times. And last year, eight steals with 11 caught stealing. So he's not a good base runner right now. He's a bad base runner. For that. For the speed he has, he's a bad base runner. That can always improve, but that trend over that long of a stretch, I don't think he's going to be a good steals guy. So now, if that's the case, he's got to hit for pop. And he's got a little of it. And and that could that is the one that it wouldn't shock me if that developed in and, and that's the way he turned into being a decent hitter is his hit tool and his power improved. I just don't see it with the speed. I think he's a really good defensive player who's gonna stay in the lineup for a few years no matter what. And but just actually for comparison, they've got Drew Waters and Acuna to where his defense maybe I don't know. He's probably a better defender than Peter Borges was when he yeah. came up. I, I don't know that for sure. But those are the comps I think of. I just I he's not one he's one that I've been I've noticed I'm a lot lower on than the field whenever I hear, hear him brought up. Yeah, no, that's totally fair. And I, I think that his uh like he may not be a real impactful guy. And there's a chance that he isn't. I mean, obviously. But I think that when you're in this range of prospects, there are going to be guys that just don't make. I mean, there's going to be guys that don't make it, or 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 at oh, least yeah. are, you know, a slump or two away from getting benched or being platooned, etc. And this guy, that that's not going to happen. He's going to play because he's that good on defense. So I just think it's worth noting, and it's kind of tough to rank a guy like that because you're hoping for some progression with the bat. You don't know if you're going to get it, but I just, at bats are valuable too, you know, especially when you're talking about prospects in this range and especially some of the guys below it, a few that we're going to get to shortly. So, Yeah, and all that's fair. I, I don't really think that whenever I see where he's ranked, I don't think people are dumb for having him ranked so high. I just don't feel like I'm as comfortable. With Ro- with Rodgers, um I don't have too much. It's just we know the story with the Rockies. I mean, it sucks. It's it's like one of those things. He plays in the best hitters park in the league. That's the good. The bad is obviously that the Rockies just jerk guys around. <laughs> I mean, he's. I think he's going to hit in the major leagues at some point. He's got a good hit tool. He's got power. Coming back from shoulder surgery, so we'll see how that goes. Obviously, he's had extra time to recover. Not really going to walk much ever. Never really has. But I still think he's probably an impact hitter at some point. It's just when that point is, I don't know. Outstanding bad speed. Still just 23. I'm surprised he's still 23. That kind of threw me off. I was would have guessed he was older than that, honestly. Seems like he's been around for so long. But He was in the same draft as Dansby Swanson. Those were the two yeah. guys at the top of that draft. And Alex Bregman. I think Alex Bregman was in that same draft. Yeah. And Kyle Schwar- Schwarber, I want to say, was. But anyway, um, you know, I just chuckled as you said the Rockies. It reminded me of one of my favorite memes out there. Um, I just tweeted it. So if you go follow, go to my Twitter, you'll you'll see the tweet. It's basically like this guy, and it says common sense. And then it's got a little 
um, something over his head and it says Rockies yeah. <laughs> inside there. Because, yeah, they're frustrating with their kids. But, yeah, I, it's, he's a frustrating one. He's, you almost like, man, it'd be nice if he could get out of there because then maybe he could find himself a better path to playing time. But then again, the bat has not developed as well as we'd hoped. And maybe if he was out of Colorado, he really wouldn't have much value anyways. So it's kind of a catch-22 with that guy. Yeah, I think the NLDH could help some of that, help sort out some of that, but we'll see. Maybe. And then I just – i they, they still got so many bats with Garrett Hampson trying to get him in there. But some of these guys are going to eventually go away, like Ian Desmond I think has one more year after this year. Maybe, maybe they'll figure it out eventually. Oh, we talked to Costa, Rodriguez, and Pena on the first-year player draft podcast in February. Do you want to talk about any of these guys here or anyone else on this list? Uh, I, I have to mention Acosta and Rodriguez for sure. These these are probably the two guys on my entire list that people are going to look at and be like, holy cow, those guys are high. Uh, the only thing I'll say is, like I kind of mentioned before, more, more speaking with Acosta, the up-the-middle type, I think that these two guys are going to be stars. I they're far away. I get that they you know were both just signed out of Venezuela this past J two period, uh, 2019. Acosta to the Rangers, Luis Rodriguez to the Dodgers. They both have really good hit tools, both plus hit tools, um, some semblance of speed. Acosta a little bit more, and um, they kind of have those projectable bodies where they're going to grow into more power and. As I've read a lot of reports from Ben Badler and just other outlets, I feel very confident that these guys are going to kind of take off. Like, you don't want a guy that is far away just languishing in the DSL or the AZL or DSL, AZL, and not not being able to really hit. I mean, I think these guys are going to hit right away across the board skill set, take off. And when I said the guy that I think is going to be looked like Noel V in a year from now, I think it's Maximo Acosta. Just my just my guy there, and um, really like Luis Rodriguez too. They're basically interchangeable, and I have and Pena there too. The only reason I didn't really say Pena is because I think that people are more here on Pena, yeah, but not the other two, and that makes absolutely no sense to me. It just makes no sense. I don't get why that they're viewed so much differently across, you know, across the community. In a lot of ways, I've seen Pena in this range fairly consistently, and haven't seen the other two. And um, you know, like you just get these reports that they, they all can hit, all three of them. So I like all of them. I think Pena is the least likely to have speed in the end. So I just have him third, but they're really interchangeable. And if you want to put Pena ahead, it's fine. I mean, I think that they're all really good. And um, even to Arelvis at uh, 49, a little bit. I mean, he was the the year prior signed J2 from the Dominican, uh, probably a move to third base. But he's kind of one of those 60 hit tool, 60 power guys that a move to third base may not matter. 
I I really wonder what's going to happen with him and Groshans because they're kind of both like third base types. And I don't know, maybe eventually that's what pushes Vlad to DH. I don't know, like Groshans to first or something. I, I don't know, but they got a lot of infielders there. It's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. Maybe they trade one for pitching or something. Or one the left yeah. field, maybe in a yeah. few years. But those guys like Acosta, Luis Rodriguez, Pena, or Elvis Martinez, in this range, I'm just comfortable going with that, thinking that they can get to – I mean, I think those guys can get near the top of prospect lists in the next one to two years. And especially when I look below it, and we're going to get to 51 through 100 next week, but – there's a lot of guys in that range that I know aren't going to do that. I know they're not going to, you know, they mm-hmm. just don't have that type of upside. And this is just where I'm comfortable taking those upside shots. When these guys explode, it's, you know, like we've seen with Luciano and other guys. I mean, that their their value just it just goes gets so high, you know. And I don't think that there's much downside to missing on one of these prospects in this range. I mean, there's other guys that you can just replace them with if it doesn't work out. So I'm totally comfortable having them here. I I actually think I could have moved them even higher, but I also could have put them lower. So I just kind of felt like the right spot. I don't remember if I said it on the podcast, but in the first-year player draft that we were having, I had – I know I had Pena, and I think I – I don't think I had Rodriguez or Acosta, but I think I had Pena above Riley Green. I felt more confident in taking in him taking him than Green. And I think I still wouldn't. I think I'd take Acosta and Rodriguez over them. I think I'd but I, I don't know if I would have these guys that that much higher or higher as much as I'd just have Green a little below those guys. Because I just I'd be shooting for the upside with them. Yeah, uh, I guess the other two, just real quick, Nolan Jones, OBP machine, 409 career OBP, over 16% walk rate every year since he was drafted. Or, yeah, every year. I'm sorry, I was looking at something else. But, yeah, um, he's pretty close, should be good. WRC Plus is in the 140 to 170 range. So, yeah, definitely a big bump in OBP leagues guy. And at 50, I've got O'Neal Cruz. Isn't he like the eight? Yes, I was just going to say, he's he's a unicorn is what he is. I mean, <laughs> six, seven shortstop. Pro- probably fits best in right field. Strong arm. Uh, some see his raw power is 80 grade. And the, there could be some swing and miss with those long levers. I mean, six foot seven guy, it's kind of tough. But I think he's a really interesting guy to track over the next year or two because he's just so different. So I'm six, five and I play in softball leagues and usually in a blowout game, the last inning, I'll go play shortstop for fun. If someone will let me do it. And um, yeah, I don't belong at shortstop. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure O'Neill Cruz is a much, 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 much better athlete than me, but it's funny to think of somebody taller than me trying to play shortstop. It's comical. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, let's take a break, and we're going to close this podcast out. Wow. 
Andrew, at one point we were talking about doing all these top 100 on one podcast, and we just went over an hour and 40 minutes just on the first half. So, yeah, I think we made the right move cutting this in half. Yeah, why am I not surprised? Yeah, prospects, and we like to talk long. So, yeah, we sure did that. But you knocked it out of the park, and that was a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to doing the same thing. We're going to do the next half on the next episode, and we'll get back to doing that. Any, anything you want to talk about, maybe about these next 50, any little sneak peek, or just we'll we'll get to it. Just say a number, 51 through 100. Oh, that's a good idea. 74. 74 is Greg Jones Ooh. of the Tampa Bay Rays. Yeah, there's a there's a, a lot of speed tool. Yeah, speed toolsy guy. So if you yeah. want to hear about Greg Jones, I will make sure that we talk about him and <laughs> uh, many other players. Heck, I think we talked about every one of these fifty. So yeah, tune in. We'll be back soon. But until then, take care, everybody. Yep, take care, guys. Thanks again for listening to the Baseball 365 podcast with Justin Hughes and Andrew McQuiston. Be sure to check the show notes for all the details on today's episode, along with quick links to Facebook and Twitter. If you have a question, a comment, or a suggestion, we would love to hear from you. You can find us at the Baseball 365 Facebook group or send an email to us, baseball365pod at gmail.com. And if you like the show, take a moment, rate us on iTunes. Once again, please join the Baseball 365 community on Facebook. That's where baseball lives 365 days a year.